call them red zones, dead zones, and maintenance zones. You've got to have some of those activities where you're actually in it for the short term, but you got to go after the long-term ones. And I used to have Akron Canton as a territory, and I was constantly working at Goodrich, Goodyear, Firestone, and it took a year or so to penetrate, but I still remember being in the senior VP of purchasing's office at Goodrich, whose office was probably bigger than my house, and just, it took a while to work those. You're not going to get a hold of the CMO at, at General Motors with a week's worth of trying. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Well, that was Skip Miller. And today with Skip, we're going to talk about his latest book titled Outbounding, Win New Customers with Outbound Sales and End Your Dependence on Inbound Leads. Now, this is an in-depth conversation about prospecting and selling in today's digital age. Skip and I dive into the motivations for change that are driving the decisions of corporate decision makers and why, when companies decide they need to change, they need help from sellers to get to where they need to go. Skip also shares his buy-sell pyramid, his integrated look at modern buying and selling processes and how it differs from conventional sales process and how it aligns with the buyer's buying process. We also dig into Skip's theory of the two decisions in every sale, the above-the-line decision and the below-the-line decision. And you'll want to stick around for our discussion of what Skip calls the best sales call in the world. And I have to admit, I agree with his definition. So a lot of great practical takeaways today. Before we get to Skip, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Skip, welcome back to the show. Pleasure to be here, Andy, always. Always a pleasure to talk with you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, really tough question first. Is Skip your given name? <laughs> I come from a big family, five, five brothers and sisters. And when I was born, my mom got a card saying the skipper of the crew. My, my real name is William. And my dad was William. My uncle was William. My brother's Ronald William. So I think my mom was in the <laughs> nickname yes. world at that time. So that's how I got skipped. <laughs> I like it. I mean, it's, it's a great name. So I also, also I was going to kid you about your LinkedIn profile because, yeah, lots of people to put sales trainer and so on there, but you're expert sales trainer. I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't write that. Somebody else wrote it for me. As opposed to just sales trainer. That's a good distinction. (laughs) I've never never read my profile, so I just, maybe I should look at that. Yeah, you might want to. You never know what people are putting out there for you. Well, tell us a little bit about your sales background. So how did you, what was your first sales job? Uh, First real sales job was selling uh, sporting goods to junior high schools. I had a job in college and um, it was a small sporting goods store. and Like, um, like uniform sales, you mean? Exactly. So I would go to the high schools, and they'd say, no, 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 we're already with the big firms and stuff. So the junior highs buy stuff. So I would go to these junior highs and sell them you know, baseball equipment and cheerleading uniforms and stuff. Huh? And nobody really worked at the junior highs. So I, I, I had a lot of fun doing that as I went through school. Very interesting. Yeah. At Cleveland State University. I mean, I the- remember – I don't know, I remember them beating Indiana in the tournament like years and years ago, like some big upset. They did, and they lost to Navy with uh, uh, David Robinson David in, in, in the Sweet 16. Yes, they yeah. did. Yeah, but then there was something like the coach got in trouble or something, right? They, they were trying to recruit, uh, I think, Manute Bowl out of Cuba or something or somewhere, and they got <laughs> busted. And Yep, yep, yep. The typical Cleveland story. Yeah, typical Cleveland story. <laughs> I just remember uh, reading not that long ago, like the current 
Cleveland State University coach has gotten bounced for some infraction too, right? Uh, I'm not familiar with that. I'm, yeah. I'm focused on the Browns and the Indians. That's where I keep my, and, and the Buckeyes. That's where I try to keep my focus. Not the Browns, yeah, that's right. They've are they still in there? Or they lose. They just lost to Kansas City, but they they definitely could have won. So uh, they played them very competitively. So we're happy. Two years ago, we were zero and sixteen. So we're, we're happy. Yeah, but unfortunately, the dog pound's not there to see it. You're exactly right. Nobody's seen sports, which is kind of killing everybody. <sighs> yeah. Uh, it's the wise thing to do, though. I mean, this is my my opinion. It's still no. the wise thing to do. I mean, I've I've yeah, I've been following, have not been following football at all this year. But I'm a big soccer fan, watching soccer. But it's like, yeah, some college had like you know twenty thousand people in the stands. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> we can we can stop for just one year, you know? Hey, to the point, yeah, yeah. So, um. And then I saw you, you worked for Gartner for a while before you started your business. So out of school, I worked for McDonald Douglas selling CAD cam and then oh, wow. went to, went to a, did that for 10 years and then um, went to a small company that sold computer trade shows, became VP sales president of that company. Now, then, like which, which shows? Um, there were small six foot tabletop. We were called the okay. invitation to computer conferences. Got so it. you'd come to us and buy 10 cities for three grand a city and you'd be having your local salespeople meet local prospects. We'd invite wow. 5,000 people and 500 would show and local salespeople making local prospects for a day, which was, it was a really quite profitable business. And oh then yeah. It we doesn't part, happen anymore. Yeah. To the point. And then we were part of DataQuest and then um, uh, they made oh. me VP of sales at DataQuest and then we got bought by Gartner and then um I didn't want to move back to the East Coast. Uh, Gartner said, come on back. I'm like, I kind of like California. So I started my own thing. And that was 20 some odd years ago. So did you come to California for McDonnell Douglas? Yeah. I got transferred out um, from Cleveland to California to do Victory. some bigger job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cleveland's, a good, Cleveland's a great place to be from. It really is. We had, yeah. we had a good time. Yeah. Great food so, city. Great yeah, food. so the whole sales, you know, staff, you know, I've been a salesperson, a very successful one, a very unsuccessful one, a sales manager, really good, a very you know, manager, very terrible. So, you know, I've had my highs and lows and skinned my knees. So, in the consulting business, right, the training business, it's just so much fun to take these small startups, these ten million dollar companies. We started with Tableau when there was twenty people in the company, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we started with Zoom when there was three people in the company. Mm-hmm. So it's, just, it's kind of fun to watch these these people just grow up and just kind of repeat, rinse, repeat. It's, it's kind of fun. Well, so taking that as sort of an inspiration for question is is yeah, we're let's say we see the light at the end of the tunnel relative to the pandemic is. In your mind, what's what's the single biggest challenge for, let's say, individual contributors over the next year or two? So it, it, I hate writing books, right? And it's just, they're just a pain. So, but I, when I see a problem, I call my publisher up, and they're like, you know, let's do this. Mm-hmm. So the, the latest book, Outbounding, which we're going to talk about, about, yeah. But about a year and a half ago, um, I was talking to some salespeople, and I said, "Well, how's it going?" Well, I got about eighty percent of my number good. Well, what about the other twenty? Yeah, I'm going to have to prospect outbound. How's it going? You know, how, how, how's that working for you? Well, you know, I, I sent an email out to a couple of people last week. I still haven't heard back. That so right now in 2021, Andy, I don't know if you're seeing the same thing. Everybody I'm talking to is saying their pipeline looks okay, things are doing okay. You know, they're taking their quota increases, but they're still looking at the 80 percent and the 20 percent out. 
people have got to stop relying just on inbound stuff and be more intentional about going after you know more bigger whale type accounts. They just can't wait for them to fall in their lap like they've done the last couple of years. I think that's a big risk for companies. But at the same time, though, at least certainly in the SaaS business, I mean, those are, you know, the whole SDR role by and large is about outbound. Yeah. And ABM is about, you know, being more intentional about big accounts. I and mean, where's the disconnect in your mind? Um, new logos. You're seeing a lot of growth within current companies, which is great. But you, you, you want an SDR going after a, a big potential account? I, they're not speaking the right language. Right. And, and the AEs, <laughs> you know, let me think about this. Continue going after my current accounts or going to spend time to get new ones. I'll try to milk the ones I've got for more. I mean, which is a great mental exercise, but you need some of the best companies we see are taking big accounts away from their hunters, you know, keeping them very happy from compensation, but letting them keep hunting, not turning them into, you know, internal farmers or internal hunters. So yeah, well, customer success gets the exactly, to the point. So uh, what but do you think that's in your mind? Is that the way they should be doing it? I think that you got to go earlier in the food chain. You can't wait for a big logo or a big new potential to come to you saying, we're looking at multiple vendors. I mean, they're 30, 40% through the sales process. You've got to go out to these executives, CMOs, CISOs. We're doing work with a company that deals with chief audit executives. I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> An accounting yeah. firm, it sounds yeah. like that. Yeah. Everybody's a chief. So, um, But you got to go earlier and say, hey, as you're looking at 2021, what are some of the biggest changes you're looking at? I mean, everybody's got change and help them walk them through their changes. I'm not a big challenger person, but it's just you got to go after these big executives and they want to talk to you because they know if they have to make a change, there's risk. You got to go upstream a bit to these executives if you want these new logos. You can't wait for them to knock on your doors, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think, right, and I w- I'll put a little bit of a spin on that because I think this is where you're going, is that is we've become so transactional, even in the big ones, yep. that this whole idea that you and I came of age with, which is, yeah, I've got these accounts. I'm going to go talk to them. They're not going to be a prospect for two years. But I'm going to be in front of the people that are going to be making that decision or who will be the key stakeholders starting now. Because that's part of my business. I'm developing my business. And so part of developing my pipeline is, yeah, I've got some that are you know, short-term, near-term, long-term. So it's exactly right. We call them you know, red zones, dead zones, and maintenance zones. You've got to have some of those activities where you're actually you know, in it for the short term, but you've got to go after the long-term ones. And you know, I used to have Akron Canton as a territory, and I was constantly <laughs> working at Goodrich, Goodyear, Firestone. Yep. And it took a year or so to penetrate, but I still remember being in the senior VP of purchasing's office at Goodrich, whose office was probably bigger than my house. And just, I mean, it, it took a while to, to work those. You're not going to get a hold of the CMO at, at, uh, at General Motors, you know, with a week's worth of trying. So I see, again, long-term, mid-term, trying to get AEs to outbound to refresh their territories and get new logos in as a problem because you, there's only so much you can milk out of your current territories. 
Yeah, I think it's a great a great perspective. And I, again, as I mentioned before, I think it's it's a perspective that's largely been lost, or especially given sort of the SaaS model is not long enough term perspective from a if you're an AE and looking at what your patch is, whether it's you know vertical market oriented, geographic, whatever, is being strategic about how you're building that business. I think to your point, Andy, that instead of now asking how much are you going to do in your territory this year? Also, the question being asked is, how are you going to do it? I mean, mm-hmm. what are you doing to get, I mean, not just give me the numbers. You know, you got a $2 million territory. Are you going to do the $2 million? Yes. Okay, good. But what specifically are you doing? Are you being more strategic? Are you just going to go get a whole bunch of tactical $20,000 deals? Or are you going to go after a good, small, medium, large? What are you doing a little bit more proactively here? I think that is coming more and more to the forefront. And compensation plans have to reflect that. That why why I mean, is that the mix the mix is important? And I always put the mix into the plans. Why is that right? Consistently, we see comp- compensation programs being a trailer. They have these great ideas. They reorganize, and then they think about compensation is a leading indicator. It should be guys. Let's put the compensation in front of the territory changes, mm-hmm. so people know right off right off day one. If you do this, we're going to get paid. Rather than, or you think we probably should change the comp plan? Oh yeah, we probably. It's always an afterthought. But you're right; it should be a leading indicator. Yeah, for sure, especially in that type of environment. I mean, I, I remember my first sales job. I mean, I used to hate it, but we had you know in order to make Presidents Club, where I did my numbers in five different groups of products. <laughs> God, I remember that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> that was not fun, especially because you know, what we called Group One products were inexpensive. They weren't systems. They were, you know, and it was like we were selling systems for in today's dollars would be, you know, half a million dollars, and these things in today's dollars would be a thousand dollars. And it's like, really? I guess sell five thousand dollars worth of this crap in order to make Presidents Club. <laughs> Can't I just rob? Can I take some of the, my, my group two and put it over in group one? Yeah. No, no. We just end up giving away the group one at the end of the year, but um, <laughs> it, it found its way into a lot of deals. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell anybody. You're not going to. You won't even get charged for it. But you got to get. You got to get this this box. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and but the compensation yeah, plan was set up, and of course, you wanted to make sure that you were, you had to plan your year yeah. uh, in order to make sure that you hit all five groups. So. Um, here's a question for you. And before we start talking about your book, um, is in a surf, sort of, you know, we're talking about some of these issues is you've read this a lot. You've seen a lot, you know, people talk about this whole idea of modern sales and so on. And, and the more I talk to people and so on, it's like, the problem is that sales hasn't changed enough. Yeah. Do you ever feel that way? It's like, yeah, we're just sort of fighting the same problems year after year after year. And, and part of it's because we're not doing anything fundamentally different. Technology notwithstanding, like most technology is being used to automate existing processes. Um, seems like something needs to change, and we're not seeing enough of that. Well, the the big change this year, obviously, is no sales calls in person or trade shows and stuff. And we've had a really forced to adapt our sales processes to to Zoom or Hangouts or, or whatever. And we're not seeing people change sales processes. I mean, I, no, give me an example. Done, we've done a couple of surveys and sales cycles are getting shorter. Access to C suite, we call the above the line buyer, access to the C suite is getting easier. 
because a C-level person will pop in on a 10-minute Zoom call. They won't agree to a big meeting presentation for an hour in the boardroom. So access to C-suite is, is changing, but sales processes haven't. And I'll give you an example. We mm-hmm. were on, a, we were on a, a, a chorus call about two, three months ago. Yeah, you can't and, use that name on this podcast. But anyway, oh, sorry. Okay, <laughs> I, we, we, we were on a a, a a chorus gong ring type of program. And um, so it's the salesperson and the manager, the manager of IT services or whatever else, and the CEO. They're on this call. Ten minutes into it, Andy, the CEO goes, this is great. This is exactly what we need. This is good. The salesperson, without missing a beat, goes, great, we'll set up the demonstration for next week. You're like, <laughs> the CEO just said, this is perfect. CEOs typically just want to be validated. They don't want to be educated. What do you, They don't change their sales process right. to, to adapt to situations. I'll go into a company and I'll say, what's your typical sales process? We do this, 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 this. Do you, do you map that out? Do you measure stages? Well, kind of. Do you measure how long you're in a stage? No, don't, no, we don't do that. I mean, this stuff's been around for 10, 15 years. So you're right. A lot of stuff hasn't years. changed. Yeah, this stuff hasn't changed. And the good companies master it and do it well. Other companies just are you know, victims of it. And, and that's got to change. You've got to be more intentional in the sales management process. Again, we'll talk to 100 sales managers, and I'll say in a five-stage sales cycle, where do you get involved? Oh, stage four or five, get the deal across the finish line. Where should you get involved? Well, of course, stage two. And Andy, here's my interpretation of a sales manager coaching at stage two. How's it going? Good. Need anything? No. Call me if you need me. Okay. <laughs> no, and that's so true. <laughs> what is? Yes. So we got to get better at your the changes. You're, you're, you're targeting a, a really great area about things don't change, but we, we, we have to. If we want to take advantage of the situation we got now, access to power is quicker. And because of that, we're seeing great companies cut sales cycles in half because their access to power is so quick. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, I'll go into companies. What's your average sale? 10000 a month. Great. How long does that take? Uh, about three, six months. <laughs> Jeez, guys, <laughs> you, you can't take three to six months to sell ten grand a month. That's, that's an out-of-business strategy. You got to fix that. So things well, have got to change, right? I, and I think one of the big things is, and this is this has been something that I've been preaching for a really long time, is that yeah, you know, as sellers, just take your CEO example. I mean, sellers seem like they have to complete. They don't understand the process in relationship to the buyer. Let's let's do that. You know, you talk about what time should say at what point should a sales manager be engaged? Right. Step four. Step two. And buyers, and I think it's been amplified, but I don't have any data, but this is my feeling based on what's happened last year, is buyers in general, what they want to do is they want to quickly gather information and make sense of the information to make a good decision with the least investment of time and resources possible. Yep. And there's been an entire body of research about this whole idea of, of people making the good enough decision. And so they do. In most cases, buyers make the good enough decision. Once they've met or found a solution that satisfies their requirements and they think is sufficient in order to hit their business desired business outcomes, they're done. They'll make a decision. And so if you're the first buyer that can do that for the first seller, excuse me, can, they, can help the buyer reach that point, 
to your point about the CEO saying, I like it. And then the yeah. guy, let's talk next week or two weeks after that. If you yeah. first want to do that, you know, we had this whole process. We used this one company. We call it taking prospects off the street. That's exactly what we did. We focused so much on the front end to front load the value you provide to help the buyer say, oh, yeah, this is good enough. I don't have more time to go talk to six more vendors. This is good. Let's do it. Yeah. So what, take the world through a lens here. You've got above-the-line buyers, the fiscal buyer, and the below-the-line buyer, the person who's in charge of using it, running it, take ownership. It's their name on it, right, the whole bit. Without above-the-line guidance, the below-the-line buyer is going to take a long time. He wants to look at all the vendors, wants to get his hands. They're, they're going to take a long time. And it's the above-the-line buyer going, hey, you're looking at a calendar. I'm looking at my watch. Let's move this up. <laughs> without that ATL influence, Andy, we did work a couple of years ago with Optimizely. Mm-hmm. And I got, th- I got there and I said, <clears throat> what's your average sale? 60 grand. ARR. Good. Mm-hmm. How long does it take? 132 days. I go, guys, you can't take 132 days to close 60 grand. They go, Skip, you don't understand A-B testing. I said, guys, you don't understand business. I go, let me explain how this works. The CMO, the VP of digital, just got her head smashed. She increased, said, I'm going to grow my e-commerce business 100%. She grew 30, and she's in trouble. At the executive meeting, they're like, come on, what are you doing? She goes, I got it covered. I got it covered. We're set. We'll grow 100% this year. They go, okay, we'll trust you. One more time. She goes to our manager of e-commerce website. What the hell happened? Well, I don't know, man. Maybe we should do some testing. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. All right, how much do you need? 60 grand. I'll get it for you. Let's go. So that guy, the the below-the-line buyer, takes 132 days to look at all vendors, 60 days to run a test, 30 days to get the results. By October, he's telling the VP of digital what's going on. Well, by October, she's fired because she just missed three quarters worth of work. Right. But yet we're still taking 132 days to sell this stuff. I mean, you can optimizely to its credit, we got less than 60. But the whole concept is, why are we letting these below-the-line buyers drag our sales process because they want to look at everything and the whole bit? When you go above the line, is exactly what you just got onto, Andy. They're like, hey, pick one that's close. If I do 80, 20, I'm pretty good. And then if I go after the 80 of the 20 and do 80, 20 of the 20 I missed, that's 96. I could be 96% and half the time. Why, why aren't we doing this? And, and we're seeing a lot yeah. more of that. Well, it, it, because the perspective that sellers are given is, is wrong. Yeah, they think they're told, they're trained that by and large that, hey, your job is to help them make the optimal decision. And the fact is, buyers don't want to make the optimal decision. They want the to make best, the best decision. They want to make the right decision. No, no, it's not best. It's right. It's it's what you they just will, said. They want to make the good enough decision. Yeah, exactly, guys. Eighty twenty. I mean, ninety ten. It. Let's go. Right. So there's, you know, a Nobel Prize winner did a bunch of research about this. Named Herbert Simon, and he calls these decisions satisficed decisions. It's a conjunction of satisfy and suffice. They satisfy our requirements, and they're sufficient to achieve our goals. And then we're done because the marginal <laughs> marginal gain you'll get from incremental investment talking to other vendors just isn't there. I've got two, three issues on my table. If I can, like, with a 90% risk factor, you know, I'm 90% sure, get that initiative off my table because new ones are coming on, right? I'm fine with 90%. Now, if I'm at a 50% risk factor, I got to talk to you. But if I'm 90, 93, hey, where I grew up, that was an A. Let's let's launch. I'm not going for 99. Right. So in 
part of the whole reason you see these satisfies decisions is that, again, more research has been done on this. Is when people make decisions, they always have three constraints time, access to information, and understanding. And so, <laughs> you know, they know they're not going to have a complete, full understanding, ever reach that, or never going to have perfect information about it. And they're running out of time. Yeah. It's so, yours. one of the things that you have to think about, I think, a different perspective for salespeople is, and this is, I'm like a lone voice in the wilderness on this, but I, I think it's just so necessary to change is that the duration of the sales cycle is not the issue. The issue is how much time do you invest to move somebody from initial point of interest to a close? And why do you need to spread that time over 32 days? No. If you, if you know it takes five hours of sales time, let's just say, to, to move the customer from point of interest to close, a lot of customers will do that in two weeks if you make it clear to them how you can get it done. Buyers want to be led. But buyers want to be led through a buy process. We have, a, we have one of our tools, Andy. It's called the Law 2X. We always give our customers twice as long as they need in between sales calls. So, yeah. so this, this is Thursday. Hey, this sounds really good, John. Why don't we, you and I get together late next week? What's wrong with tomorrow? Well, yeah. I, I, I call I mean, it. I have, I have my own name for that. In my first book, I called it the indecent interval. Right? Everybody talks about a decent interval between events. <laughs> I call it the indecent interval because it's like you're just operating because you think what they need a week to absorb this. Well, I don't want to be pushy. I mean, I, you know, it's going to take me time, guys. Time, time. Wine ages well. Deals don't. So, guys, if this is Thursday, even if it's an interim step, cut it in half. You, if you're waiting five days, six days in between touches of your customer, nothing could go well. And you're right. You could. If and you say, guys, why don't we get together on Monday? Well, Monday's kind of rough. Just go. Hey, you guys are saying this is important. I mean, if it's that important, can't you move some stuff around? We're only looking for thirty minutes here. Yeah, you're right. We probably should. I mean, why not really push it on the customer to close their buy cycle a tight, tighter? They, you're, to your point, they want to do something faster. Right. So, I mean, think about even in today's model. I mean, I had a, a client that was, had, was, had a software package they were selling. And on the first call, I trained the reps. And these guys were not SDR. They were more qualified than SDRs, but they were responding to inbound leads and so on. But on the first call, we trained them as that invariably, after about 10, 15 minutes, the customer would go, oh, this is really cool, to just what the CEO said in your example. I'd love to see a demo. Now, 99% of salespeople would say, okay, how are you next Tuesday, right? <laughs> and, and the customer would say, I'd love to see a demo. So true. The, the customer would say, I'd love to see a demo. Can we schedule one? And what I did is I trained them to say, no, but we can do it right now. So that customer always said, yeah, of course I'll see it right now. They have time. They'll make the time. <laughs> yeah, they were excited about it. Yeah, of course I want to see it now. I mean, of course, a couple didn't. But by and large, almost all of them. And so what happened is, in one call, they had just compressed the sales cycle just by saying, let's do it now. We did. They did that at Infusionsoft. Infusionsoft sells CRM and, sure. and marketing automation. Yeah. Customer. yeah. So Infusionsoft would be like... 30-day sales cycles for 500 bucks a month. It's like, guys, when they say want a demo, tell them no, unless you can do it right now. And you know their, their amount of one-call closes almost doubled or tripled because they didn't have to put them on hold, set them up, set them. I mean, what a pain in the butt. 
So well, and that's why you're I, exactly I right. Laugh at this notion that you know we've got this conceit about the modern sales process, and we have our specialized sales roles. Yet, if we really want to make it modern, train the SDRs to give a demo on the spot. Yep. The customer is interested. Don't set up a meeting for the AE. Train the SDRs to do it. Yeah, I find that hysterical, this whole flipping over the wall. I mean, some of these SDRs are really good. Many of them yeah. are. And, yeah. and they can take the wholesale themselves. They don't have to flip it to an AE. So we're seeing a lot more mid to low size deals staying in the SDR organization. And the AEs are complaining. But the AEs, we want our hunters to hunt. And we want them to hunt elephants and whales. Yes. We, don't want the, we don't want them to you know, hunt sparrows and blue jays. I mean, right. come on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, well, let's, let's talk about your, your book, new book called Outbounding. So what was the impetus to write the book now? Well, I guess we sort of covered that. Yeah, again, you know, just when you see a problem, you want to fix it, right? So too many AEs are getting bad or mid-sized leads thrown over by the SDRs. I mean, Facebook leads and stuff and so on. So they've got to outbound and they don't want to do it. They hate doing it. They have, they have a bad attitude towards it. And um, I started writing the book and about 20% of the way through, I threw it away because I had the bad attitude. <laughs> Guys, your customers in your territory are wasting money by not being approached by you. This is not a, hi, you got 10 minutes to see what I got. It should be, hi, as you look at 2021 or whatever, these are the challenges out there. And if you got those challenges, I might be able to help. No, no idea if we can or not, but if this stuff is costing you money, time, risk, whatever, maybe we should chat. And that's the attitude you got to have rather than, oh, man, yeah, I got a prospect next week. I mean, I'd rather poke myself in the eye with a pencil. I mean, it just, it's well, got to be a it extends, right attitude. Right. And it extends further than that, though, because I think that one of the fundamental issues with how we train and socialize salespeople is that their job is to go out and get an order, right? They have to get something from the customer. And as you write in a book, you know, isn't it easier to get the customer to buy something rather than sell them something? So we're there to provide some value for them. You're there to give something to them. Yeah, yeah. You can't make somebody buy. All you can do is help them with a buy decision. And helping them walk through that buy process is your job, not, you know, I'm going to sell them something, then I'll take the deal down, right? Andy, I was at a car dealer years ago, and I still remember I was buying a, a used Toyota 4Runner for my daughter. And the sales guy comes up and goes, hi, my name's John. Hi, John Skip, my daughter Alex. He goes, I'm going to close you today. <laughs> that's what he said. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'm sure the manager was like, come on, guys, we got to get 30 closes today. But I mean, I don't want to be closed. So yeah, I wrote the book because I think, and then cadences and sequences, we have a client, mid-sized company. That, okay, I'm an AE. I got my job to do. But I have a sequence of 25 people, 10 touches in a two-week window. After that, I take that 25, I put a new 25. Then after that, I put so three sets of 25. I, I filter them out. <laughs> and, that's, and that's my way follow-up action items, yeah. I'm, yeah, but that takes them an hour a day. They get to do their other job. Because their target market is so well-researched. They're going mm -hmm. after above-the-line buyers. And, and just... They get three or four good leads every two weeks, and all they're doing is 25 in a, in a, in a tight sequence, really tight. And they're, they're telling me their AEs, it takes an hour a day. They've got a program. They, they've got it down. Good research. They're not just shooting for the hips. They're going for senior executives, not just you know mm -hmm. 
tire kickers. And there isn't that much follow-up because they're doing it very deliberately as opposed to, you know, here's 25 names and, you know, let's go after, you know, the, the, the lowest level person who will take us because it's a hobby for him anyway. So it's not a lot of effort if people do it right. And we, we don't see people doing it right. Well, why? I mean, I think this is, is have we socialized sellers to now think that AEs, that it's prospecting is just not part of their job? I mean, I, I'll tell you a story. I ran into a, I had been on the advisory board for a company and I ran into a senior sales type uh, that had been at that company, had moved on to a new opportunity and ran into him at a trade show and, and or a conference and he he said, you won't you won't believe the new company. I said, because I asked him how it was going. He said, you won't believe it. They expect me to prospect. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I had a guy come up to me and say, listen, I don't need, I don't want to prospect. I make 30 grand a month just getting out of bed with my current customers. Why, why should I go prospect? You're like, well, look at ever since HubSpot, ever since, you know, you know, 2005, right? Inbound leads, SDRs, it's part of our ingrain. So now when you go outbound, the AEs are going like, well, I didn't sign up for that. I mean, I wasn't part of the job description. So you're right. I think we've desensitized the the whole job of sales and we got to start swinging that pendulum back. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's part, you should want to do it, right? I mean, I think that, that why are you in a situation where you feel like you're completely at the mercy of something that is given to you? Andy, I can tell you early in my career, I hated prospecting. It sure, was, it was well pure, did. Pure fears. We all fear, the, fear of the unknown, fear of rejection, fear of the word no. I Every good salesperson should never take rejection personally. I take it personally. I mean, I'm sorry. I, people who buy from me are great. People who don't are jerks. I mean, I'm sorry. I I take it personally. And you, you've got to address those fears by really focusing on your customers, not just on you and how you're handling rejection. So why don't people do it? I mean, I, again, I, it's that rejection. Why would I want to put myself in a place of rejection? I'd rather lie to myself. And say, I got it. It's good. I don't need a prospect. Well, and that's sort of what happens, right? You're exactly right. Yeah, I, I, I see this a lot, especially in areas where there's a need to move more into larger enterprise type opportunities. And and this is for me is where the big disconnect is. Is you know because a lot of times companies go through the traditional sort of growth. We're going to start in the SMB, then we'll yeah. go mid market, then we'll go to enterprise, and they think, well, yeah, we did great. You know, doing lead gen with our outbound and our inbound leads at the small stuff, surely that will happen as we go to the big stuff. And they're not ready. They try to do what they did. We call it in SaaS, you know, land expand, Mm -hmm. land expand, explode. But the problem is the people you expand with are not the people you're going to explode with. So you've got to come up with discover to send. You've got to come up with, okay, if we're going after the enterprises, we have to go after the above the land buyers with different messaging than we did with the below line buyers because land expand is a different motion than discover to send. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once well, companies- explain, different- explain discover to send. Discover to send says, okay, I'm going to go after this $5 billion company, $3 billion, you know, big company. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do homework. I'm going to find out who the executives are, what their mission is, read their 10K. And I'm going to get some meetings with my executives, their executives, whoever. But we're going to get a meeting with the CMO, the CLO, the CRO, somebody. because And once we get their attention and find out what their initiatives are for 2021, then we'll go together down into the VP of digital or the VP of sales enablement or the VP of product or whatever it may be. But you've got to get the attention of the senior level executives and then descend into the organization. 
And when you do that, deal size is bigger and sales cycle shortened because you got that all that energy rather than, okay, I got three seats with the manager of that. And then I got the director who gave me another 20 seats. And then I'm going to get another 100 seats from this guy. But that person doesn't know VP of product or VP of engineering. You're never going to explode that way. Land expand works great. Land expand explode is a fallacy. Okay. Well, what you're saying runs counter to what a lot of people believe <laughs> the SaaS model is or subscription-based product model is. Let's go talk to Tableau. <laughs> they figured out quickly that you know they'd get to a $100,000 customer, 200000 but if they wanted to get to a couple million dollar customer, right? Yep. They had to go meet the C-suite and then yep. get that people to say, these are our initiatives. And then quickly, as you just said, quickly go down to middle management and say, guys, if this is what you're looking for, we're already sponsored by the senior management of the company. Do you want to make that 80-20 decision? Let's go. And they closed multiple million-dollar deals because of Discover to Sand, not just land, expand, explode. You'll get somewhere on that, but it'll take you a long time to land, expand, explode for sure. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think it, I'd written the past as I put this little graph together with a you know XY axis, and and the uh, X axis was sort of strategic importance from high to low, and the Y axis was complexity and, and cost high to low and used to say, okay, well plot what your deal is on this graph and depending on which quadrant you're in. If you're in the upper right-hand quadrant, which is high strategic value and high complexity, then you have to call higher in the organization. If your deal size is smaller, less costly, less complex, but you just give yourself a visual way to think about where do I need to make my initial call? To your point. It's not rocket science, but why do we only take on inbound leads who's the ma- assistant manager of something and give them demos and go, what do you think, Hog? Could you please introduce me to my boss? Well, I want you going over my head. I mean, it, it, it just, and it works, but it just takes a lot of time. But we're fearful. We're fearful of calling on yep. the C-suite because they put their pants on different than we do. I mean, they're different. Well, just learn how to speak that. I've told salespeople, listen, you closed some business in 2020. Go back to four or five of the C-suite people and say, hey, how's it going? Everything good? Good. Hey, in 2021, what's what's going on with you? Where do you see your biggest challenges? Where do you see the biggest risks? Learn to speak their language so you don't speak below the line to the above the line folks when you get that chance to be above the line. All right. Let's dissect that for a second. So I call this acumen, right? So your recommendation for how sellers best develop this acumen. It's an immersion program. You want to go to France, you want to learn French, go go to France for a month and just be around people who only speak French. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn how to speak at the C-suite, go talk to some C-suite people. We had a client that interviewed in brown bags every week, a C-level person. And they let the sales people listen. Interviewed interviewed in brown bags? Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. Lunches. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Lunch lunch and learns. (laughs) I was trying to visualize. (laughs) (laughs) Lunch lunch and learns. learns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... The president had a tough time keeping that C-suite person on track because they thought they were there to say, oh, how great their product is. So he kept going after him. Where do you see your business issues? Where do you? Be-? He was teaching his sales team on these lunch and learns, you know, the brown bags. Yep. Just, you know, oh, I didn't know about risk. I mean, I should ask risk questions. Mm-hmm. Well, below the line, decisions are very black and white, but above the line, they're fraught with risks and they want to talk about the risks. So that sales team's acumen, their business acumen skill sets, like you said, started increasing because they just started hanging around C-suite people. Well, and they started 
listening and paying attention and understanding. Yeah, that's what the that's that's what the good ones do, right? It's not enough just to, you know, hear a C C C suite person or CEO say something, because chances are as a young person, if they're new, yeah, maybe they don't understand it. Ask the question, right? And it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to ask that question. We are so proud of our features and our benefits and what we do, and we're better than the competition. But learning how to actually just have a great conversation with with a C-suite person, like a CMO, a CLO, you know, we don't do that. We never teach that. We teach people, here's the features and benefits and competitive advantages and, you know, grenades and all this type of stuff. Go forth and conquer. But you're not encouraging above-the-line business acumen, which salespeople need, especially as they get higher up in the organization. Right. And one sort of exemplification of that, though, and which and you talk about in the book, is the need about having a value proposition for both ATL and BTL, above the line and below the line. Yeah, I would say it's even more finite than that, is you basically need a value proposition for every major stakeholder oh. that's personalized for them. And yep. last year, mid-year, I posted on LinkedIn, you know, tell me in five words or less what you sell, basically. And I think everybody should be able to reduce to five words the value proposition, what they what they sell, and what the the value the buyer will get from it in five words or less. And the guy that won, we did a little contest. And the guy that won the contest, who was this fabulous SaaS seller working for a live person, he broke it out. He said, "Yeah, I've got five value propositions. This is to the CMO. This is to the CIO. This is to yeah." You know. And it's like that's the way you approach it. What do you want me to say? That's exactly correct. I mean, yeah. you know, what the CMO cares about and what the C, uh, you know, EO or the, the head of product, I mean, try to get marketing and sales to sing together. It's hard because they're two different – one thinks they're the voice of the customer. One thinks, you know, sales is a distribution channel. I mean, everyone – the CMO has got different initiatives than the CSO. They're similar, but they're different. And, and if you can't have one size fits all or, or no one's going to listen to you. Yeah, well, see, so you have to command the attention of each of the audiences, so each of the stakeholders. Uh, so, last thing, because we're running out of time a little bit, but is, um, yeah, I like what you wrote in the book. You had your sales law about what the best sales call in the world is. And <laughs> you want to say it, or should I read it? Andy, best sales call in the world is not where you get off the phone or get off the, the video call going, nailed that puppy. That was, that was a good call. That was a good call. Because when you're doing that, the customer's going, what was that? Best sales call in the world is when you get off the phone going, I didn't say anything. I mean, I, I didn't even get to my slides. And mm-hmm. the customer's going, they heard me. They know exactly what they heard me. Buyers buy from people who they like and they trust. So I think the best sales call in the world is where you feel a little empty because you didn't talk what you really wanted to talk about, but the customer feels that they, they were listened to, if that's what you were trying to get to. Well, yeah. Well, I think I would I would go one step beyond that. Is the customer felt that you understood them? Yeah. And what sellers unfortunately don't think about enough. And you, if you're listening, you got to think about this: is one of the major sources of value you can provide to your buyer is to help them feel understood. And if you do that, you're way ahead of the game with that customer. That puts you in the pole position to win the deal because if they think this guy gets it, right? This person gets it. Andy, I did a program years ago. With, with I was on stage with Tony Robbins. And Tony basically said, listen, the definition of a master communicator 
is you're responsible for what the other party understood. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough that you just said it. You're also responsible that they heard you and they understand you. And once you take on that responsibility, I think you're a better salesperson. Absolutely. And it's just not, it's not emphasized enough is that, yeah, we're going to go ask questions. Fine. Ask questions. But do you really understand the answer? Do you really understand where the buyer is coming from? Do you understand that the buyer is going to answer the question with two perspectives in mind? What's good for the company and what's good for them personally? Yeah. If you want to make that person feel understood, you need to understand what's happening on both levels. And this feeling to them that, oh, yeah, they heard me. They really understood me. High value. I would strongly encourage your, your listeners to buy a book on listening because we have so many filters out there. We filter this listening. We don't do a good job of, you know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Yes. And I love the music analogy. You, you hear the music, that's hearing. What's the song trying to say? That's listening. And I think we do a good job of hearing our customers. We don't do a good job of listening to them. Yeah, I'd, I'd phrase a little different, similarly but different, which is, you know, hearing is is automatic, right? We just hear. It's, it, we, we, it happens whether we want it to or not. Yeah. Listening doesn't. Listening has to, is a proactive act that we have to take, you know, deliberate act. And yeah, your point about the filters is so right on. I, and oftentimes I've recommended people that are listening to the show is buy a book called Blind Spot, The Hidden Biases of Good People. Yeah, it's a fabulous book. Just talks about how we all have these these uh, invisible biases, if you will, uh, people of various types, and it has a huge impact on how we receive communications from them and how we communicate back to them. And this book has website you can go to and and take these quizzes the these researchers have put together. It's been taken millions of times. Uh, yeah, you'll be you'll be surprised yourself when you take them. I'll buy one today. No, that's a great recommendation. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right, Skip. How can people learn more about your book? When's it coming out? And, or it's probably out by the time we we do this. November third was my birthday, election day, and the day my book came out. So November third was a big day. Big um, day. Yeah. Yeah. So it came out already. It's out on uh, on audio as well, Audible, and um, Amazon's the best way. And on my website, m3learning.com, stands for Miller and his three kids. Uh, on M3 <laughs> Learning, I've got a, five, a set of five videos that I talk about parts of the book, and they're, it's free. So they can go on my website, download, or, or look at the five videos that I've put together. You know, they're two, three-minute videos, but they cover some pretty good studs in the book. Uh, if they want the book or the audio, they can get on Amazon. Perfect. Skip, as always. And I look forward to you being, um, becoming a neighbor at some point. <laughs> <in> the- <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my son's looking for some babysitters, I'm sure. So the, my son's pushing us down to San Diego too. So we'll see how that works. Thank you. Uh, Annie, right. always a pleasure hook, hook, checking in back with you. It is. We'll do it again before too long. All right. Take care of yourself. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm ever so grateful for your support of this program. And I want to thank my guest, Skip Miller, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.